You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast. www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Lovecast. So, uh, happy belated Father's Day to all the fathers out there who listen to the Savage Lovecast. A happy belated Father's Day to my own father, who I believe has just begun listening to the Savage Lovecast, which freaks me the fuck out, Dad. Happy Father's Day. Turn it off. All right? Um, and a happy Father's Day, belatedly, to uh, my husband, Terry, the other father of our son, uh, and to me. We don't make a big deal about Father's Day at our house. Um, we don't make a big deal about Valentine's Day. We don't make big deals about anniversaries. Um, we're just not big deal makers. Uh, we have a little dinner party, maybe, for a birthday, and every once in a while, about two or three weeks after our anniversary, we look at each other and go, oh, fuck, it was our anniversary, wasn't it? Happy anniversary. And that's about as big a deal as we make. Uh, somebody's trying to make a big deal out of Father's Day, though. Uh, anti-choice activists. They're always trying to make a big deal out of everything. They could find an anti-choice campaign to tie to Arbor Day, but they're tying an anti-choice campaign now to Father's Day because when it comes to choice, when it comes to abortion, we have to remember the real victims, the men's. They're trying to frame Father's Day as a day of mourning for men who have lost children, children to which they were entitled because they had an orgasm, to abortion, to women choosing uh, whether or not to terminate a pregnancy. And this was blowing up on Twitter in the week before Father's Day, trying desperately to get this off the ground, including at the same time a campaign called The Pill Kills that they're trying to get off the ground when actually the pill, hormonal birth control, saves lives. Giving birth is far more dangerous than taking birth control pills. If you're concerned about women dying, you should be against heterosexual intercourse. You should be advocating for all women to choose lesbianism, which will protect them from childbirth and pregnancy and the need for contraception at all. Uh, But of course, they're not advocating for that. Anyway, uh, people were screaming and yelling about all the poor men's out there who've lost uh, children to abortions, children that you know, they were again entitled to because, you know, they went to all that trouble to blow a load. And this guy uh, on Twitter, Gordon Shukro III, which I'm assuming is his real name, added this to the Twitter conversation about all the poor men's who have been victimized by uh, women who've chosen abortion. Gordon, it might be something you can joke about if it hasn't happened to you. The pain is real, I assure you. He tweeted that to me because I was laying into the anti-choice assholeists who are trying to make an anti-choice holiday out of fucking Father's Day because uh, uh, he thought I was being insufficiently respectful of uh, his pain. And uh, I just wanted to address Gordon here on the show because what I find so fascinating about anti-choice men making this argument uh, about uh, you know women shouldn't be allowed to choose abortion because it's unfair to them is that these are the same people who are constantly going on about how women who have found themselves pregnant – uh, because let's let's put the worst case scenario on the table because they were really irresponsible and they weren't using birth control at all. And neither was the dude fucking them, by the way, but they weren't using birth control at all and found themselves pregnant at a time in life when they couldn't uh, parent and didn't want to parent. Um, they're always yelling at those women and also at women who, you know, were raped and women who were using birth control. But birth control does have a failure rate. Some people who use almost any form of birth control, there is potential quote unquote failure rate, which means a pregnancy could happen. They yell at all these women that they 
were being irresponsible, that they, if they're going to choose to have sex, then they have to be ready to shoulder the responsibility of parenting. They can't just use this get-out-of-motherhood-free card that is abortion, that if you're not ready for the responsibility of being a parent, that you're not supposed to be having sex, please take some personal responsibility, ladies. And if you're going to be sexually active, <laughs> then you are signing up to bear my child against your will. Then you're signing up for Republicans to shrink the size of government just so it's small enough to shove up your vagina so they can regulate your reproductive system and they can prevent you from exercising your right to terminate that pregnancy. What I find so fascinating about this whole what about the men's argument that these men's who have suffered so because their children they could have, would have, should have had were aborted by these terrible, awful women. What about their personal responsibility? What about their responsibility not to ejaculate inside of women who do not share their values when it comes to reproductive freedom? Where was your responsibility, uh, Gordon Shukro, if indeed this happened to you? You ejaculated inside some woman. You got her pregnant. You weren't using birth control. Perhaps birth control, men, it's your job too when you're fucking the ladies. And then this woman that you ejaculated inside of found herself pregnant and then you suddenly discovered that she was not an anti-choice psychopath like you. What about your personal responsibility to nail that down before you nailed her down? What about your personal responsibility, again, not to blow a load in a woman without using protection who doesn't share your values? Gentlemen, Gordon, at all, tweeting about this bullshit last week. Take some personal responsibility. Take that same medicine, that personal responsibility medicine that you are always trying to jam down women's throats and into every other orifice and jam it up your own asses. Get it in suppository form. I'm sure it's available. Get it in suppository form and jam some personal responsibility up your own fucking assholes. If you were being responsible about your sperm, it wouldn't be landing on eggs that happened to be in women who were pro-choice women who if they found themselves impregnated by a yahoo idiot motherfucker like you are of course going to run to a planned parenthood clinic so no gordon i don't have much sympathy for you i have as about as so no gordon i don't have much sympathy for you i have about as much sympathy for you as so many millions of anti-choicers seem to have for victims of rape and incest that they want to deny access to abortion to or victims of contraception that does sometimes fail that they would like to deny access to abortion to, that they would like to compel birth upon? Yeah, no sympathy. No sympathy. Yeah, Gordon, next time you're horny, stay at home. Rub one out. Take personal responsibility for your ejaculate and where it goes. You put it into a paper towel and you put it in the garbage where your DNA belongs. And now your calls. Hi, Dan. This question relates about my daughter. First, let me give you a little bit of a description about her. She's 17 years old, going to be 18 uh, here shortly. Uh, she just graduated from high school. She did go to an all-girls Catholic school. We're actually atheists, but we did like the girls' environment for her, and we made it her choice, and she did select to go there. In the fall, she's going to a very large university, which I think will be good. Uh, in her years of high school and even prior to that, uh, I'd say she's probably had limited exposure with boys. She's had several boyfriends, but uh, she usually breaks up with them. Well, yesterday, back last night, uh, she came out to my wife and I. Uh, 
uh, didn't do it in the way that I thought. She first went to social media. She hit it on her various feeds. Then she told us. I did ask her to take those down from the social media, but not out of embarrassment or shame, but rather, I don't know how those things can impact her future. That's not the way I wanted her, the rest of her family to learn about it. There's just more mature ways of of doing that. And she did comply. She did take them down. Uh, I think my wife and I responded uh, very supportively. We spoke from the heart. We told her that, you know, we accept her any way uh, that uh, she is. We will always love her unconditionally. And I think that that was helpful. Uh, In the conversation, I did, however, ask her how long she has thought or has known that she was gay. And her answer actually was a little confusing to me. And it's certainly different than what I typically hear from your podcast or from others. She said that she thinks that she likes girls, but hasn't really been sure how long. She does find boys attractive. She doesn't necessarily feel emotionally wanting them or feeling connected with them. You know, I, what I was expecting was something along the lines of, you know, I've known since I was a kid or you know, I've had crushes on girls for a long time. None of that. It's just more along the lines of she thinks and maybe, et cetera. So my question to you is this. I'm not convinced that she actually is gay, but I fear that if I say that, I think she's going to perceive that as me trying to deny the truth or insulting her coming out, which I certainly am not doing. Uh, Frankly, if I could convince her of anything, it would be to explore and learn a little bit more about herself, try things out. She's going to be in a big college setting. It would be the perfect time to do that. But I guess I need some tips and suggestions on how to best go about that. I want to do the right thing. I will always love her. But this is coming as a pretty big shock to all all of us. And um, I just want to set her up on the pathway and make sure she's thought everything through. You say you want to convince her to explore. She's exploring. This coming out, her coming out to you as a lesbian, uh, that's not a final answer necessarily at her age. But it is definitely the beginning of her, her explorations perhaps. Maybe it's the destination. Maybe it's where she's arrived. People don't come out to their parents for shits and giggles generally. So you can look at it and say, I want her to explore, and she is indeed exploring. You say you want to make sure she's thought it all through. Maybe this is part of her thinking it all through process. You pried a little bit into what she actually feels and what she actually desires, and you found some evidence that maybe, perhaps, she hasn't fully thought this all through. Maybe her explorations are not over There are plenty of examples in the world of women who came out as lesbians, who identified as lesbians, who lived as lesbians, who later – female sexuality tends to be a lot more fluid than male sexuality in experience as well as practice. And maybe she's one of those women. Maybe she's going to be lesbian-identified for a few years at college and then maybe she's going to be bi-identified and maybe she's going to default straight or round herself down to straight at a certain point in her life. You don't know. And you can't know. And she's figuring this out right now. And all you've got to do is kind of what you're sort of doing, which is to love and support her. Don't pry too much. Don't make her prove to you that she is what she says she is. If what you're invested in is her being who she actually is and figuring that out for herself, you convincing her subtly by prying questions or expressions of doubt, you may cause her to double and triple down on an identity that isn't who she ultimately is, isn't the final destination of her explorations around sexual identity. 
And so if she's in this position where, you know, she's come out as a lesbian and she senses from her dad that he doesn't believe her, she may wage a long war to convince you of that. And then that'll make having invested so much time and effort in convincing you that she is indeed a lesbian, that'll make it harder for her to walk that back. If indeed she isn't a lesbian, if she is bi or straight, and that has happened. Nancy Updick, one of the producers at This American Life, did a wonderful piece on a show uh, several years ago about how she was a lesbian for many years. She was lesbian identified. She worked for a queer newspaper. She was totally embedded in and felt she was a part of lesbian culture and everything but sleeping with women and having relationships with women. That she didn't do. And now she is with a man. Does that mean she wasn't a lesbian when she's lesbian identified? That is an angels dancing on the head of the pin argument that we don't have to get into here. All you got to do is let your daughter be who she is. Let her be who she says that she is. One of the ways you figure out who you are is you say, I am this. But turn this over in your head, Dad. The most common lie that you're told about somebody's sexual orientation, the answer that is wronger usually than any other answer is straight. Because everybody who is queer, everybody who is gay or lesbian or bi identified for a time as straight. So that's usually the wrong answer. That's usually the one that is not true. When your daughter was straight identified, you didn't scrutinize her. You didn't question her. You didn't ask her to prove to you that it was true, that she was actually straight. You just accepted it as a matter of fact that she was straight. Now that she's a lesbian, you want proof. Now that she's a lesbian or now that she's lesbian identified, you want to have long conversations to make sure she's sure. That is a kind of homophobia in action. It really is. When you took her at face value when she said she was straight, you refused to take her at face value when she says she's a lesbian, that isn't fully loving and fully accepting. You can be fully loving and fully accepting and have your doubts. You can be fully loving and fully accepting and fully cognizant that there are lots of people in the world, like Nancy Updike, there's lots of people in the world who were lesbian identified for a time or bi-identified for a time uh, and then identified later as something else. And you can love and accept your daughter now for the lesbian that she identifies as and you can love or accept her later when she identifies as something else if indeed she ever does identify as something else. Two other notes. It's not fully loving and fully accepting to tell your daughter to take that all off social media. People can be openly gay on their Twitter feeds, on their Facebook accounts. There are people who want to get it out of the way. They want to come out all at once to everyone in their lives without having to have a hand-holding, hand-wringing conversation with every aunt, every uncle, every cousin, every grandparent, every friend, every friend of a friend of a friend. They want to come out on their own terms in their own way. And for a lot of young people – that means social media. And it also puts her in charge of her own coming out. When you come out, word spreads. Unless everyone joins you in the closet, when you tell people you're a lesbian or tell people you're gay or tell people you're bi, they are going to tell other people and the word will precede you. So some young people, instead of waiting for friends to tell friends to tell friends and relatives to tell relatives to tell relatives, tell everybody all at once on Facebook. And that is completely legitimate and it does not lock her into a lesbian identity any more than telling you that she's a lesbian locks her into a lesbian identity if she isn't a lesbian and she very well could be a lesbian although her comments about her mixed feelings about boys and girls mm, 
See why that would give you doubt, but maybe she just didn't want to tell her dad how badly she wants to be face down in some other girl's labia. Maybe you were asking prying questions that made her uncomfortable and she equivocated, not because she's not a dyke, but because she didn't want to talk about her burning lust for other women's twats explicitly and graphically with dad. And she's 18. That was the other thing. She's 18. Uh, People tend to have a good handle on themselves by age 18. It's not like she's 13 or 12 and telling you she's queer, although more and more 12 and 13-year-old kids are coming out to their parents. She's 18. She's had some time to walk with this, to think about it, to create her own identity around her sexuality or sexual orientation. So let go, Dad. Stop controlling and editing your adult child's social media profile. Stop telling her what she can and cannot identify as. Not that you are. Love and accept her truly and wholly which means no longer editing her social media accounts, no longer telling her to wait, no longer worrying, no longer hand-wringing, and no longer pressing and prying for proof that she's a lesbian. If she were straight, again, you would not be pressing and prying for proof that she was straight. Hi, Dan. Straight female here. I've been with my husband for 10 years, and I have a stepdaughter as well. Uh, She's 16, and she spends most of the year living with her mother in their town and flies out to visit us at Christmas and in the summer. She recently came out to her father as asexual, but she hasn't told me directly. It's embarrassing, but I honestly didn't know that asexuality was an orientation before your show, so I know I'm behind on my learning. Uh, Anyhow, my husband clued me in, and she seems to be doing well. She's out about it in school, and she's got a real interest in counseling, information, and advocacy when she's older. So my question is, she'll visit us in the summer, but I don't officially know. So do I feign ignorance until I'm told? Or is there a way to subtly offer my support without her feeling like her trust is violated? If she gets here and she's just open about it, what's the best approach I can take to let her know that she's accepted and 100% supported? Thanks, Dan. You're overthinking this just a bit. She's come out as asexual to her dad. She may indeed be asexual or she may not be asexual. One thing I didn't talk about with the previous caller is I have known women, adult women, who have talked to me about the time in their life, usually teen years, usually high school, college, when they identified as lesbians, not because they were lesbians, but because they didn't want to deal with their attraction to boys just then. And a lesbian identity created a force field around them where they were no longer being pressured to have relationships with boys and that boys knew that they couldn't have relationships with them. And it was a way of sort of opting out of the sexual marketplace, the marketplace that they wanted to live in some point in the future sexually, right? When they were going to come out later as bi or then straight. Um, But they did use the lesbian identity as kind of a shield for a time in their lives. The same could be true here. Your stepdaughter could legitimately be asexual. 1% of the population is believed to be asexual. Some people have leaned on an asexual identity, however, as a way of opting out of sexual expectations, romantic expectations on on the part of their peer groups, on the part of their friends and families. Uh, And they've been able to say, I'm not ready for sex, but I, you know, if I just say I'm not ready for sex, I'm going to seem immature or whatever. So I'm just saying I'm asexual, like being apolitical. I'm just going to be above it and not part of it and observe and buy myself some time, which is what my friends who identified as lesbians when they were really just anxious and straight were doing. They were buying themselves some time. They were stepping out of it. Maybe that's what she's doing. Maybe she's asexual. How do you support her? 
Well, it's pretty easy. You love her. You support her. Knowing that she identifies as asexual, uh, you don't have to run to her and say, I love and support you and I affirm your asexual identity. Uh, the thing that, you know, in my readings uh, by and about asexuals, that drives a lot of asexual people crazy when they're not out or they are out and their identity isn't respected is people pressuring them to be in relationships. Is people trying to talk them out of being asexual or people who don't know that they're asexual constantly asking them if they're dating anybody, when they're going to date somebody, if they've had a boyfriend or a girlfriend or they've lost their virginities and really just pressuring them to be something sexual that they are not. So to show your love and support for your asexual stepdaughter – Love her, support her, hang out with her, talk with her about the things that interest her. You know that she identifies as asexual, so don't talk to her about boys. Don't talk to her about girls. Don't talk to her about dating. Don't talk to her about marriage. Not that asexuals don't sometimes date and marry. They do. But just leave that aside. Talk to her about the other things that clearly interest her, whatever they may be. You don't need to have a conversation with her about her asexual identity until she's ready to talk with you directly about it. But you can still be sensitive by, again, avoiding those conversations about love and romance. Hi, Dan. I was just listening to the last episode where you and Prudy were talking about getting questions you can't answer. And I wish you would have those on the podcast so you could be like, here's this question. I think you should do this, but I don't really know. Because sometimes I listen to your podcast a lot. And a lot of the time I feel like I know exactly what you're going to say. And it's still interesting. But I would like to be stumped. When Emily Yofi, dear Prudence from Slate, was on the show to inaugurate our second opinion segment, which we're lining up the next guest for, uh, we did talk. We did both admit we came out about this dirty little secret about the advice industrial complex, which is that you appear to have all the answers when you write a sex advice column or an advice column in Prudy's case uh, because you don't print the questions you don't have answers for. Um, I'm a little better, I think, than, than some advice columnist I could name, not including Prudy. But she does this too. Sometimes when we don't have the answer, we go find the person with the answer. We have a lot of guests on the Lovecast here to help us field questions from you know, Buck Angel to Debbie Herbenick to Jesse Baring and all sorts of other uh, experts, authors, activists who come on when I have a question. I'm like, I don't know what the fuck to tell this person. But we'll have other people on who do know what the fuck to tell this person. But yeah, it is kind of true of the advice biz. You create this aura of omniscience because you only usually print letters in the column that you have answers for or take questions on the podcast that you have answers for. But I am, of course, sometimes stumped and it is a good idea, thank you caller, to maybe play one of those stumpers every once in a while and just toss it out there to my informed and intelligent and engaged and sexy listenership. Uh, and see if you guys can pick the lock. See if you guys are likewise stumped or if some of you have the answer. So we're going to play one of those calls right now. Here's a call that came in. I don't know what to tell this person. I don't know if they're right. I don't know if they're wrong. I've never heard of this before. Completely stumped me. Let's see if it stumps you. Hey, Dan. So I got a question for you and possibly your bevy of medical experts. I've been involved in the kink scene for a few years and one of my personal favorite types of play as a top is orgasm control on the, on the bottoms. And one of the things that I found out very early on when I was playing, uh, somebody who was giving a class on orgasm control told, or told me this, was that everybody, when they orgasm, their toes will curl. They will either curl down into fists or they'll curl back towards, your, towards the legs, like basically curl down or curl up. And if you can prevent them from curling, 
they physically can't have an orgasm. Now, I've done this with my bottoms on numerous occasions, basically like just either push or force their toes into one position, into the opposite position that they curl when they do come, and then just keep telling them, come on, you can come, come on, you can come. Why aren't you doing it? Don't you want to? And it's frustrating as hell. It's hot as hell. You know, it's, it's all great. It's all great fun. But something that I've been wondering is, is this actually something that's physical or is it something that's psychological? Because I realized recently that I've never done it with anybody without telling them first what it is I'm doing. And you know how even when like the smallest thing goes in your, uh, when you're trying to come, the littlest thing can throw you off and you just fuck up your orgasm. So I'm wondering, is it something that's actually physically possible or is it just something that I'm putting in their heads and like fucking with their heads for the, uh, for the play? I have never heard of this before. I'm tempted to run off and masturbate and see what my toes do because I've never really scrutinized my toes. And then I could masturbate again a couple of hours later and I could have the tech savvy at risk youth hold my toes down and we could run this uh, through the Savage Labs program. Uh, but I don't want the tech savvy at risk youth to sue me. So I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to throw this out to you guys, whether you're taking classes on orgasm control or not. I have no idea. I have no idea if this is true. I've never heard of this anywhere, ever. And I've read about orgasm control and orgasm denial. I've read about it on blogs. I've read some books uh, that cover those kinks. And I've never seen it mentioned there. But who knows? Maybe this is a real thing. Maybe you can tell someone they can come. But if you can duct tape their toes to a board, they're not going to be able to do it. I have no idea. Stumped me tossing it out to you guys. If you have an idea about whether this works or you want to try it, this weekend and then give us a call and let us know whether it works, whether not being able to curl your toes prevented you from climaxing. Do it and give us a call. Let us know how it went. Unstump us at 206-201-2720. Hey, Dan, this is a 29-year-old woman in Chicago, and I have a question for you about red flags in dating. I've been out a couple times with uh, a guy from OkCupid, and first date went really well. Second date, you know, a couple weeks later when it was going very well until we had more than a few drinks and we're sitting at a bar. And first, the guy discloses that he's been engaged twice. And once he put that out there, I, of course, had to follow up with some questions about that. And he was fairly open and not super defensive, except he did refer to women that he ended up falling in love with as being, quote, cold-hearted bitches which was a little hard to take and made me feel like perhaps he was completely overly bitter and unsalvageable as a potential partner. I don't know. Immediately after the conversation about the fiancés, he asked me, um, how many people have you slept with? Is that ever a question that is viable for a second date? I don't even think it's a question that's viable for a relationship. Um, I'm trying not to let it bother me too much and just write it off if he was drunk, but do you think that it's just a sign that he's a complete misogynist, that he had disparaging remarks about exes and wanted to know how many people I had slept with? Was this a red flag that I shouldn't go out with him again? Let it bother you. You say you're trying to not let this bother you. Let it bother you. When someone speaks disparagingly of all of their exes, what they're telling you, what they can't seem to see themselves is that they're the problem. They're the common denominator. If you hate everyone you've ever dated, if everyone you've ever dated has been terrible, awful, rotten, no good person, if all of your exes are assholes or bitches, it's probably you. 
you're the one with the problem. You can't keep drawing that same short straw, right? Some people are going to cross you and wrong you. We're all going to have some exes we can't deal with, we can't see, uh, who are really shitty to us. After a while, it starts to look bad. After a while, it begins to reveal that you either have terrible judgment, you have terrible tastes in people, or you're the asshole. And you're calling all those other people assholes because you're projecting your shit, your asshole shit, onto them. And that doesn't necessarily make you a misogynist. I've dated guys who were exactly that way about all of their exes, all of their male exes, that this guy that you went on a date with, they weren't misogynists. They were just assholes. But the pressing you for how many men you've slept with on the second date and the intersectionality of that perhaps with all of the women I've ever loved have been cold-hearted bitches and by the way, how many men have you slept with? That begins to add up into this is a guy with a problem with women, with women who have their own opinions, with women who have autonomy, with women who get to make their own sexual choices, with women who may scrutinize or judge him, with women who may make demands on him. Yeah, and that starts to look like misogyny after about five more seconds of contemplation. Those two things taken together, probably evidence of misogyny. And you say you don't want to let this bother you. I want you to let this bother you. It's a red flag. It's a big red flag. It is a May Day parade red flag when somebody on the second date or the first date tosses out there that everyone they've ever dated is a cold-hearted bitch. Everybody they've ever fallen in love with is a cold-hearted bitch. That may, you, you go, I will be spoken of in this way too. But this is a person who doesn't trust the people who fall in love with him somehow. This is a person who drives people off and then blames them. And so you should allow him to drive you off. Be driven. Let it bother you. No third date. Hey, I'm a 30-something woman calling from a major city in the Northeast. Something happened to me last night that happens kind of a lot throughout my life. And it really tears me up every time it happens. And I don't talk to my friends about it because it's just a weird thing that I feel like, even though I know better, I feel like I sort of bring up myself. I have repeatedly throughout my life gotten into situations where I think I am completely platonic friends with married straight couples. And I'll get into a situation where there's drinking or something or I'm somehow alone with the guy who, again, I think is just my friend. And he'll get grabby or try to kiss me or confess that he would cheat on his wife with me or suggest that we do that. I have had these situations, too, where I have been um, with a group of guys, either when I was working at a place where I was the only female and I um, got targeted. Um, and I remember one dude... Uh, we were all having drinks, me and all the guys that uh, on my crew, and uh, one of them reached over and, and pulled my hair back, pulled me down, and planted one on me and groped me in front of everybody, and I was trapped and humiliated, and I feel that way about what happened last night. I have been told by some guy friends of mine that one of the reasons why I, he thinks I'm attractive is that I am confident and I present myself as being really comfortable with myself. And I know that, you know, sometimes that turns into people thinking you're available or whatever. But then other dude friends tell me that their friends have said that 
Like, she wants to fuck you. That girl wants to fuck you. That girl looks like she needs to be fucked. Look at that face. And I feel like there's something that I am sending a signal or I'm making some sort of face. They're doing something. But I think I'm just being myself. I think I'm reasonably unsexual in, like, most public situations. So it totally blindsides me when this happens. <laughs> you know, there's that video that went around a little, couple of months ago. Was, uh, she's not mad. She just has bitchy resting face. And I'm wondering if I maybe have, like, bedroom resting face. I'm not trying to flirt. It's just my face. I don't want to shame myself because I know it's these dudes who are reading the wrong signals and being pushy and also cheating on their wives. So this is not me. But I also would really like to stop it and stop feeling crummy and stop feeling like maybe these women think I'm some sort of threat and I'm not. And I don't know how to make that clear. This is going to be hard to talk about because... Anything I suggest that that you do to control for this thing that keeps happening to you is going to make it sound like I'm saying that this is your fault or that you're bringing it on yourself or that you're responsible for it. You say you would like to stop it, uh, but this is something that you aren't doing. It is something that's being done to you. You aren't doing it. There's something you have to stop. These men have to stop it. I don't know if these men are going to stop it. You, you mentioned, you know, bitchy resting face. Do you have a I'm available face or I can hack it face or, you know, you say, you know, you're employed, you're competent, you're fun, you're friendly, you're breezy. You probably come across as strong and resilient and maybe these guys, including that asshole at work who sexually assaulted you, who should have been fired, maybe these guys figure that, you know, some other girl that if they made this play for or they – said that they would cheat on their wives with some other girl might be shattered by it or upset by it, but you're one of the boys. You're so strong and independent and resilient that it'll bounce right off you if you're not interested. And clearly it's not bouncing right off you and you're really being traumatized by this shit. So what do you do about it? You never interact with a man ever again in your life. You get a job working in a convent somewhere doing the books. You refuse to be friends with opposite sex couples and only hang out with dykes? Well, I don't know. I don't know. There's like, what do you do? The world has to change. The culture has to change. Men have to change for this to stop happening immediately. And that's not going to happen. It's going to take a long time for the world to change. It's going to take a long time for straight men to change. We're talking about it now than ever before. So hopefully it's coming, but some men are always going to be shits. And I don't want to say that you're doing anything wrong, but the comparison I would make, maybe not bitchy resting face, but I just got to New York face. People who've just moved to New York City who walk around with an Iowa City expression on their face of, hi there, neighbor. You have to lose that expression. You have to jettison that or you will be approached by people all the time. Uh, Not that New York is some predator's paradise, but you know, you got to armor up. You got to put on your game face when you walk down the street in New York. If you want to get where you're going without being delayed, hassled, bothered, stopped, hit up for change every 20 feet, you got to put your New York City fucking don't fuck with me face on. And that would be something you could cultivate that would be about armoring up. And it's not that someone who leaves the house in New York City who gets hassled Everywhere they go because they seem so friendly and approachable and available or vulnerable is responsible for whatever happens to them, is responsible for, you know, shitty people trying to game them. They're not. But eventually you learn when you leave the house in New York, you've got to have your New York City pedestrian armored up 
don't fuck with me face on. So maybe you to work around this shittiness that you are not responsible for, that is not your fault, but to work around it, need to practice a don't fuck with me face to protect you. If this happens with all couples that you are friendly with all couples that the husband makes this play for you or the male in the relationship makes this play for you. If I were you, I would be less emotionally available to those men. I would be less friendly to partnered men, particularly if this has happened so often that anytime it happens now and going forward, you're going to be re-traumatized by it, right? That maybe you can't risk giving guys the new guys in your life, the next couple that you make friends with, maybe you can't risk giving that guy any benefit of the doubt, any emotional availability, any openness. Don't be alone with them. Focus on your female friendships to the exclusion of the dude a bit. If dudes throw themselves at you because you're hot, because you seem game, because you seem strong and you are strong. It's just, this has happened so often that you are now officially very upset by it. But my guess when these guys coupled married guys make this play for you, when they hit on you, I would bet you that what's going through their head is she's strong. She's fun. She's game. She's my friend. She's not going to tell my wife. And if she's not interested, she'll take a pass, but she's not going to be shattered. She's not going to be upset. Well, you are upset. Maybe telling one or two wives in the wake of the pass would instill in your face that don't fuck with me glint that you currently, through no fault of your own, lack. And one or two times, I think you need to press that nuclear button. Guy hits on you, who's married, go tell his wife. Subconsciously, that'll leave something in your eye that's perceptible to future married guys who might want to hit on you if you nuke a couple of guys' marriages. Hi, Dan. This is a 26-year-old calling from the East Coast, and I feel a little bit stuck. So I am a cancer patient. I have cancer for the third time in two years, which medically and statistically speaking is not great news in terms of survival odds. So as a 26-year-old facing a potentially terminal disease at this point, I feel a little bit stuck um, in my relationship, not that I want out of my relationship, mostly that I really want to be married before I die, if it is my fate to die soon. And my boyfriend is is a little bit hesitant about that. Um, you know, he's in his 20s as well. He barely know if it's the right thing for us to rush into. Um, he's a very thoughtful planning out for a guy. And I feel the same way, that it may not be what makes sense financially for tax reasons, etc. but I really want to be married. Um, and I'd really like that to happen while I'm still healthy enough to, you know, enjoy a party and have friends and family together and, and really celebrate life before I'm planned to start getting sick uh, in order to combat the disease uh, this fall. So uh, I've explained to him that it's, you know, important to me for emotional and medical reasons. I've explained to him that I know I'm potentially being a little bit selfish. Uh, I think you're allowed to be selfish, potentially facing terminal diseases. But so he, he acknowledges that this is important to me, um, but he is scared and he's not quite sure what the right thing to do is considering that, you know, 
we both have other plans that we want to be getting off the ground, career things and financial things. We are moving in together, which is great. I'm excited about that. But the, the marriage word seems to be a sticking point. And besides, you know, talking to a counselor, I was curious what your advice to him or to me would be. I love him. He loves me. I know that. It's just a, a hang-up somehow, facing terminal disease and wondering what that means in terms of is this marriage something that can happen? Hi, Dan. Hi. Is this a bad time? Are you in a car or something? Um, I'm actually just pumping the gas in my van because I just moved in with my boyfriend today. Oh, cool. How long have you guys been going out? Um, since June of 2011. So next weekend is our three-year anniversary. Okay, so a while. This isn't like... A while. Uh, forgive me, I should start with, I'm so sorry about your illness. I'm so sorry that the cancer has returned a third time. I mean, like, it sucks, but it, there's nothing to be done about it. It sucks so hard. And, you know, kind and decent and loving people like my friend David Rockoff get knocked out by cancer and Clarence Thomas lives forever. There is no justice, right? I agree with you. I'm really sorry. And that sucks. I guess, you know, maybe it's your boyfriend I should be calling because I don't understand if you've been going out for three years and you're moving in together, the hesitancy around marriage, I guess, cause I'm the marrying kind, like I'm married my boyfriend, my husband. So nice. I married him twice. I don't understand why that other step so intimidates him. Can you tell me? I don't know either. I mean, my assumption is that he comes from sort of conservative Midwest stock. Mm -hmm. Um, And so even the moving in together, you know, he made it pretty clear within the first year um, when, you know, he decided he loved me. (laughs) It took him a while to get there too. Um, He made it very clear within the first year that, hey, I'm not going to live with someone unless I plan to get married to them, unless I know that they're the one and I'm committed. And so I know he's committed, but for some reason, the actual word marriage or the actual institution or the actual legal act of going to a judge or getting the certificate itself Mm -hmm. just scares the hell out of him for some reason right now. it, It boggles me. It boggles my mind whenever I hear somebody say that they can't marry because they're, you know, a traditional Midwest upbringing, but they can have premarital sex and they can cohabitate. That's fine, but they can't marry the person that they're having all this mean, premarital sex and cohabitation with. He's a little bit more liberal than that. But I, I, I mean, I think the, the key thing about his upbringing that really left a stamp on him is that he, he takes decisions very seriously. Mm-hmm. Even, you know, the decision of where to go to school, it's, it's a very serious, intense discussion. It must require a lot of thought. Sometimes you have to shit or get off the pot because some outside force calls the question like cancer or a terminal illness. Like you don't have 10 years for him to play Hamlet about it from the sounds of your call, from, from the things that you said. Is that true? Exactly. Um, and I'm so sorry. You're so like, you sound so strong and almost at peace with it. And I don't know if that's a facade or not, so I don't want to be cold. Again, it is what it is. There's, there's, there's nothing. There's, there's nothing to be done except treatment. And I could live. I could live for years and years and years, and he'd be stuck with me if he got married to me. <laughs> his loss. But well, I hope you live for years and years and years, and he's stuck with you uh, if you guys do indeed get married. I hope you live forever. 
Uh, I want to say I'm from, I'm Irish Catholic, right? I'm about to say something that's like Irish Catholic, dark sense of humor. Can you handle it? Can I, can I lay this out? Can I say what I'm thinking without you driving that van from New York to Seattle to kick my ass? Uh, theoretically you could, because I don't think I want to pay the gas on this 40 gallon guzzler. So go ahead. (laughs) Well, you know, you could say to him that, you know, watch a few romantic comedies. It's always a widower. Like a lot of women (laughs) find widowers. Widowers are super sexy. They're super. You're going to get so much pussy after I'm dead. If you're smart enough to marry me and be a widower for fuck's sake. I think, I think I made that joke and he just got really sad. And he's like, I don't know if I could ever love anyone after you. And I was like, oh, that's sweet. Oh my God. That breaks Um, my heart. Well, I'm his first girlfriend. So it sort of breaks my heart too. He, He was a late bloomer. So he's, he's very devoted. And I know he, would marry me in a few years, but I think it's just the shortened timeline that stresses him out. I mean, he, he doesn't have a job. It's the recession. It's very bad. What does he say about the cancer and the, the possibility that your relationship may shift because of the illness, marriage or no marriage to a a kind of a caretaker role, like a a serious illness and a terminal illness can really change a relationship in profound ways and you could become profoundly dependent on him emotionally, physically. And he's down with that. He's committed to that. Theoretically, he's committed to that. He's, he's much more scared the first, this time than the first two times. Like the first time it was not really a question. He didn't mm-hmm. leave, even though it was only a year into the relationship. I think he was sort of like, Oh, cancer in your twenties. Like you're going to be fine. And then the second time I gave him the option to, to go, Mm-hmm. And at the time, he, he took a while to think about it, and then he decided, you know, we don't know what's going to happen. If we're going to break up, we should break up because we don't like each other for some reason. It makes no sense. I want to be here to support you. I want to be here on the other end of this. And I tried to warn him, like, if this goes badly, which it might, you could be on on the short end of the stick. You could be living with me for several years of not-so-great times and then lose me, and it would be awful. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the time, that's what he said. And then when it came up the third time, the you know the week I had the scans and I wasn't sure what was going to happen, I sort of mentioned, oh, if it's cancer again, you have the out. And he was like, ah, ha, ha, that's funny. We're together for life, buddy. And I was like, great. Okay, so if we're going to be together for life, do you think we could get married? And he's like, oh, yeah, we can totally make that happen. And then the diagnosis was actually real. And all of a sudden, he was like, uh, wait, what? You, I promised to marry you? What? are you sure? And I was like, yeah, I think I'm pretty sure. He kind of said that it would be okay. And I'm going to maybe hold you to that because I would like to have at least a a civil ceremony before Mm -hmm. (laughs) I go into treatment for a very long time. That would be a good thing for me. uh, Now, uh, uh, God, I'm just, I'm staggered by your strength and your sense of humor and your courage. Like everyone should not, I mean, everyone can't have clearly what you have. He's so lucky to have you and what you have and your grit and your strength. And I'm sure that's part of what he loves about you. I would go to him, you know, you, you mentioned his family and his family is there. Your family, good? My, my family is here. My family is perfect. They're wonderful. They live in the area. They love him. He knows them. He loves them. Who do you, um, want, your, who do you want your next of kin to be going into what could be the end of your life? I mean, it's probably going to end up being my dad because my dad's the one who has the job security to leave his job temporarily and and possibly go with me if I needed to go out of town for treatment. 
My boyfriend's not the one who can do that, unfortunately. So, so the marriage thing is not necessarily about security and caregiver because I have that. I have that locally. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really just emotional. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just want it. God, I think he should fucking give it to you. And I don't know. I, I'm sure you've said that. So I'm not sure if you play the podcast for him and he hears me say it, it's going to make much of a difference to him. <laughs> you know, for a lot of people, you know, a lot of really young men with the, those cliche fear of commitment issues that are so boring. And so many young men are convinced that they're so interesting and it makes them so existentially tormented and poetic. And it's just fucking boring, guys. You know, for a lot of them, it's about the end of their youth. It's about the end of a certain stage of life. And so they have they have what, what, what he is not entitled to and you are. They have these freakouts about their mortality, about the end of the life, that, that, that marriage kind of represents a death of youth and childhood. If that's his issue, maybe just articulating it, saying it out loud and knowing it doesn't have to be that way. I think there's a, you know, a lot of people don't want to marry because they have it in their heads that marriage is a certain thing. Marriage is whatever two people decide that their marriage is. Right. And so his marriage to you doesn't have to mean the end of your life doesn't have to mean the end of yours either. It doesn't mean that you guys have to change how you've been living. It doesn't mean that anything has changed. You can keep living and growing and having adventures and, and, and being for each other. What you've always been for each other without, you know, marriage symbolizing a death. And, you know, he's already very cognizant, no doubt from the last two cancer scare rounds with you that on some level you may symbolize potential death to him. We should all symbolize potential death to each other. We should all look at the people we love in our lives. Remember, remind ourselves every once in a while that life is fleeting and temporary and precious and can be taken from a person in an instant. But it could be the compounding of your cancer diagnosis, the mortality issues that that raises for him uh, and the mortality issues that seem to lurk in so many men's minds in marriage itself and I don't, I don't know what I'm go, I don't know where I'm going with this, except to maybe hear it out loud will help him see what his fucking <laughs> bullshit is about, and marry fucking you, and give you that. I mean, I, I think he will. I think mostly his issues revolve around um, change and stress. He wants things to go sort of one thing at a time, and I was, you know, pushing for the move because that was sort of a marriage-like thing that I could get done easily, quickly within a month or so. Mm-hmm. So it's possible that, you know, once we're settled in and they bring it up again, he will go for it. It's just something that I hate, you know, pressing the button over and over again. But it's like, okay, well, if we want to get married and if we want it to be a party and not just with a judge and our closest family, uh, yeah. that needs to happen now. That needs to happen now so we can send out invitations and plan things. And it can be small scale. I don't care, but I want it to happen. So... Are you, how firm are you willing to be? You know, sometimes the only leverage someone who wants to marry. I'm not going to break up with him. Okay, that's exactly where it's going. I'm not going to break up with him. There's there's no reason to break up with him. He makes me too happy and I need him too much to go through this process. And if he doesn't marry you? And if he doesn't marry me, I will be profoundly disappointed. And I think that he knows that. I think he's just, scared that the timeline is accelerating so quickly and that it's not what we wanted it to be. Cancer calls the question at times. Sometimes decisions have to be made quickly under a kind of duress and it's not an artificial deadline. It's being imposed by by medical necessity and he's going to have to make up his mind. He's going to have to shit or get off your face as we like to say around here. 
And I, you know, if he's, if you're going to play this room and he's listening, you know, marry the bitch, just fucking marry her, have the party. If only as an excuse to have a party, your girlfriend, I'm just going to talk to your boyfriend for a second, if that's okay. Your girlfriend is facing down a very scary diagnosis, a very scary course of treatment. Some people, when they go into this kind of treatment, go into a decline and, and, and that's it, right? It's the long, slow decline. And if there may be no point along that decline where you can come through with the wedding that your girlfriend wanted and that she deserved and that you say that if you could wait five years or ten years, you would want to give her. And so you would have denied it to her at a time of her life when she could have enjoyed it, at a time in her life when her spirits needed boosting. And boosted spirits actually boost people's immune systems, many people believe. So giving her that gift before treatment, before the treatment really knocks her health sideways, because to attack cancer, you really have to attack sometimes the body that that hosts it. To give her that? If you can't wrap your head around it as a wedding, wrap your head around it as the first and best and most fun stage of treatment for this cancer. Giving your girlfriend the wedding and the party and the acknowledgement of how important she is to you that she's asking you for how hard is that and then dan you're wonderful i was just going to pivot to the think of how much pussy you'll get (laughs) (laughs) just because you thought that was funny the tech savvy iris youth are all glaring at me and shaking their heads no but you know no it's true Nobody You're gets, absolutely right that no, love boosts the immune system and a party absolutely boosts the immune system. <laughs> and nobody gets pussy like a widower gets pussy, so. Right? He's already got the silver hair around his temples. Well, there you go. Uh, I hope he comes through from you. How old is he? Uh, how old is he? Yeah. He's 28. And you are? Uh, 26. Perfectly. And you do sound, you do sound fabulous. And if oh, you were my you. girlfriend and I were a straight guy, that kind of fabulousness and strength and grit and determination and courage and, and a sense of humor, I would fucking marry that in a heartbeat. Will you call us back and let us know how you're doing? I'm going to worry about you for the rest of my life. I'm my mother that way. Okay. I will call you back. And I am shocked and amazed that you called. I was absolutely sure you could not take anything so morbid to talk about, let alone play on the air, if that's what you choose to do with it. Uh, I'm, I'm and fucking I Irish your Catholic. Goodwill. <laughs> I'm fucking Irish Catholic. We run to the black. We run to the morbid. Um, the wedding to boost your immune system, but the best, I think, weapon that you have is is your sense of humor. Not that you aren't allowed to have the big sads. Read Barbara Ehrenreich's book about cancer, but it's it's really terrific, and I think it's empowering in the right way because there's too much, I think, bullying of cancer patients to be sort of upbeat and happy all the time and optimistic and Barbara Ehrenreich's book will empower you to feel how you feel and to express it and not to worry about keeping up appearances for other people who aren't struggling through this. Definitely. pick. You're allowed to feel however you feel in the moment as long as you're not hurting other people. Exactly. But you can tell your boyfriend I'm going to come to New York and hurt him if he doesn't marry you. (laughs) Okay. Good luck. Thank you. Have a good day. Hi, Dan. I know you don't like taking questions about trans stuff, but I don't know who else to ask. I've been with my fiance for for uh, 10 years and we're getting married in two months. He came out to me as trans a year ago, female to male. And even though I identify as a lesbian, we've actually made it work and we're really happy. I'm really supportive and I'm glad that he's come out 
and things are great. But uh, he's been going to this group, this group meeting for trans people, and some of the guys there have said that um, when they started testosterone, they started becoming attracted to men instead of women. And I'm obviously a woman. We're getting married in June. I mean, I'm really afraid that someday he'll go on testosterone and then won't be attracted to me anymore. Is this a thing that happens? Is is this real? I mean, I know that trans guys have all kinds of sexual orientations, but do they really change that frequently when they go on hormone therapy? If you could get some information on this for me, I would really help because Google hasn't turned up anything, and I don't know who else to ask. Joining me by phone, Buck Angel, filmmaker, advocate, activist, and trans man. Uh, and you transitioned 20 years ago, right, Buck? Yeah, Dan, 20 years ago. So uh, I've seen this a couple of times where uh, trans men who were lesbians and lesbian identified until they transitioned, uh, then becoming gay trans men after transition. Is this common? I've seen it a couple of times, but is this a thing that happens because of testosterone? It is definitely a thing. <laughs> and um, I have noticed so many trans men myself, uh, not necessarily because of testosterone, because some of the guys I know who have transitioned without the use of testosterone have started to have feelings towards uh, cisgendered men and have had feelings of becoming and identifying more as gay men. So it's definitely something that's happening and is out there for sure. And there, there probably isn't a study that can tell us how common this is, though. There is no study at this point, but, you know, I have a, I have a documentary called Sexing the Trans Man, which touches on this specific topic because I found it quite fascinating myself because even with myself, I never was sexually attracted to cisgender men before my uh, change. And then I became attracted to, though I consider myself more on the bisexual or, you know, sexual kind of uh, situation rather than just a gay man or a, or a, straight, a straight man. Mm-hmm. Um, so what would your advice uh, for this lesbian woman who has been with uh, her partner for 10 years? Her partner's a trans man. Uh, they're staying mm-hmm. together. They're getting married in June. And he hasn't started, her partner, he hasn't started uh, hormone therapy yet. What would your advice to her be, to the, to the, to the well, caller? Yeah, I, my advice would be like, go get married. You're in love. Be with that person. You can't be scared or intimidated or feel, in a sense, vulnerable that you might, this person might change. They're gonna, they might change anyway, whether or not they take testosterone. I mean, that just happens in daily, you know, normal, I hate to use that word, but, you know, situations. I, he could or he could not. It's some, many guys don't. I don't think that she should be worried about that, to be honest with you. It could happen and it could not happen. It doesn't happen for everybody. Sure. Things happen with, Things happen through the change that we don't know why these things are happening. I think that for my own, I think that really what happens is that you become so comfortable in your body that you, that you never were that way before. And the sexuality part comes into play with that. So you want to experiment or these things. But I think she shouldn't be in any way feel intimidated or vulnerable about it. I think she should still get married and still be in love and still have an amazing life with him. Okay, this seems contradictory, though. We're saying uh, don't feel vulnerable and don't be scared, Uh but this is a thing that happens, and it happens frequently enough that you've seen it and I've seen it. Uh, So it could happen. Your partner post-transition, uh, post-hormones, if he decides to, to do hormone therapy, could wind up realizing that he's a gay man, a gay trans man. Right. Uh, but don't worry <laughs> about it, marry him anyway, and it probably won't happen. Like, that seems contradictory to me. 
I guess it is in, in a way. What, what I'm trying to say is this: anything can happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Does that with any partner that you're with, or with any you know person that you become sexually or or uh, in love with? Anything can happen. So, are you going to always be scared to get involved with somebody because these things can happen? I think that's more what I'm trying to say. Okay. Right. Because, because yes, he could decide that he's a gay man, but that's not even on, in the cards right now. I don't, from what I understand, he's not even touching on that. She's saying it could happen, and she's scared. Well, you know, anything can happen, right? Are you gonna, are you gonna not fall in love with somebody because those things can happen? I don't, I don't, I hope not. Well, what about postponing the wedding? What about an, a, a longer engagement? They've been together ten years. For most of that time, her partner was a lesbian identified woman uh she as i've seen lots of uh lesbians who were partnered with trans men uh before their transition she's staying with her partner and mad props to her uh, but if the transition is really recent and she feels like his identity not just gender wise but also sexual orientation wise may be up in the air what's wrong with waiting another year before you get married i like i like a long engagement if you're going to be together forever then if you marry this june or next june it won't make a rat's ass worth a difference Right. But we'll, well, you're right on about that. I just, you know, what's important to them? Is the marriage is that important to them? Are they going to put it off because they're scared or are they going to continue to do what they do and just, you know, hope and just work through whatever situations happen? I agree with you on the marriage thing, whatever. Or really, what's important to them? Her, of course, being scared and being vulnerable is part of being in a relationship, is mm-hmm. it not? You never know how things are going to change or what's going to happen. That's just part of the whole scenario. But, but this is a huge thing that has already happened. That she's yeah. she's with this person for ten years. They were a lesbian couple. Her partner's transitioning. This is a big deal. This isn't some. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe wait. I wouldn't want her partner to feel as if he's being, you know, he's on probation or that 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 he's right. done something wrong. And but I think she's she legitimately has a right to her feelings and perhaps a reservation about making this kind of you know what's supposed to be a lifetime commitment. When mm-hmm. he's literally, literally in transition. Right. And that transition and, could involve not just his sexual, not, not just his gender, but his sexual orientation as well. Right. No, you're right. I mean, and, I, and also going through transition, my God, it's such a whole nother show. You can have completely on that. I mean, so many things happen during transition, but they've been together for so long. Mm-hmm. Hopefully they have such great communication and it seems like they do. And it seems like she's so in love and supportive and all of those great things. But now he's going through his whole, whole other thing that's going to happen for him right now. And so if she's willing to go through all that, I, I mean, I, what it, you're right. Straight. You're so right about maybe waiting for the marriage thing. You know, maybe they need to see what's going on. But to me, being together for 10 years is sort of like being married, is it not? Mm-hmm. So they're already kind of going through all that. And it ha- sounds to me like they have the skills and she has the communication skills to talk about it, which, again, is such an important thing and part of processing what's going on. It's, you know, definitely going to be a, a challenging road ahead, I think, since he's just starting his transition. There's going to be a lot of feelings coming up, a lot of things coming up. Uh, just so much happening. So maybe if we merge our advice, our advice is <laughs> go ahead and marry the dude. But wait, <laughs> wait, but wait, there, there's no rush to marry. Marry the dude if you still <laughs> feel the same way about each other a year from now. Uh, right. And if he's going to do hormones, let him do them. And also, you know, we should throw on the table. What if your partner post-transition is a bi-trans man? 
And is right. that okay? Is that something, you know, do you have an open relationship? Is open to something you can live with? Not that all bi people have to have open relationships, blah, 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 blah. But if post-transition he wants to be with men or experiment with men as well, is that something that your relationship can accommodate? Well, so, in a way, she kind of is doing that because she identifies as a lesbian. So now she's with a trans man. And so in a, in a, she's with a man now. So the same things are happening for her as well, in a, in a way, right? Because mm-hmm. being identifying as a lesbian, you're, you know, you're attracted to cisgendered or transgender women. And so uh, that, that's a whole thing that's going on with her, too. And I found I, I've noticed a lot, too, that. Uh, lesbian women are becoming more attracted to trans men. So that's becoming a whole nother, like, what are we going to be calling that? And what's that? Just sexuality in general is changing so much in the world right now. I see that. Buck Angel, filmmaker, advocate, activist, and trans man. Uh, Thanks for jumping on the phone with us today, Buck. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Dan. Hi, Dan. I'm a 24-year-old single gay man who's been in a sexual relationship for the past seven months with a 41-year-old married man. His wife knows about the relationship. I've met her several times, and she seems supportive of his sexual lifestyle. Over the past few weeks, however, our strictly sexual relationship has started to evolve into more. We've gone to the movies, dinner, and hiking, all without her presence. And a few days ago, she, he dropped a bombshell on me. Uh, he wasn't happy in his marriage and has hinted at wanting us to develop into more than just the proverbial fuck buddy. I find myself in the precarious position of starting to fall for him as well. We have a lot of natural chemistry, and although the sex is great, the conversations are better. My question is, should I be the homewrecker and tell him how I feel, or do I cut ties with this man and not be his excuse for leaving his unhappy marriage? I think we could build a life together, and that's what makes this so difficult. I could really use some guidance considering all of my friends think I'm purposefully destroying this marriage. Am I? So the wife knows about you, and her husband has her blessing to fuck 24-year-old you and hang out with 24-year-old you and go hiking and go see movies and basically you know, have a romantic, not just a fuck buddy connection with you. Uh, and he's on your boyfriend, her husband, unhappy in this marriage. It strikes me as entirely possible that she's unhappy in this marriage too, that you're not wrecking anything, that this is a marriage that is winding itself down and not so much stealing him from her as she's passing you off to him, possibly, or I don't know, maybe not. I want to challenge though the sort of False choice that everyone in this circumstance or everyone observing a circumstance like this makes, that he can have a relationship with you and a loving relationship with you, or he can remain married and stay in this marriage, but he can't do both. He can do both. He is already doing both. It is possible for two people to stay married and to have relationships with other people. I don't think this is the first time we've talked about this shit on the show, that There's nothing about a long-term ongoing marital relationship that if it's open and it's honest and it sounds like open and honest, you've met the wife, you have her blessing, this relationship that her husband has with you has her blessing. There's nothing about that that precludes other relationships. So it's a false choice you're staring down the barrel of, a false choice of your own and the culture's construction that if he loves you, he can't be married to her. That if he loves you, he can't also love her. 
a person can be in romantic love with more than one person at a time. And it is false to suggest to people that it is impossible. It actually prompts some people to not perceive the love they still feel for their long-term partner when there's a new person around. A lot of people believe that if I feel strongly, if I feel romantic attraction, if I feel a loving romantic connection with person B, then I must not be in love with person A anymore because I have been told that this is mutually exclusive. I've been told that these are the sorts of feelings you can only have for one person at a time as opposed to these are feelings you can have for more than one person at a time and you may feel them more intensely for a different person at a different time. That somebody new is going to be bright and shiny. It's going to have that as the polyamorous call it new relationship energy. But new relationship energy doesn't mean that old relationships do not have their own lasting energy. And it, that's a value. So I guess what I'm telling you is to continue to let this unfold. Who knows? You could be being played by this guy. Maybe he, this 41-year-old married man, says this to all the 24-year-olds that he fucks for seven or eight or nine months. And then he moves on to some new 24-year-old and fucks that one for seven or eight or nine months with his wife's permission. Or maybe their marriage is coming apart. And you are not the homewrecker. You are not the reason it ended. Maybe it's coming apart for all sorts of reasons that have nothing to do with you. But let it play out. And I would put it in your head. I would put it in your boyfriend's head. I would put it in the wife's head that you don't have to ascribe to that notion that he can have you or he can have her, but he can't have both. He could actually... If you're willing to go there and she's willing to go there and that's where he wants to be, you could actually all have each other. We sometimes get calls from people uh, requesting that we play feedback calls. Uh, callers from previous episodes that we gave advice to or t- chatted with, do they ever call us back and give us updates about how it went? Uh, we got a couple of those calls this week and we decided that we would share them with you today. Um, hi, Dan. I called a long time ago. Uh, I'm a bi guy and I was married and my wife didn't think that um, I was really bi. She was denying my sexuality and it was making me miserable. Uh, and uh, you suggested that we talk and maybe she go to therapy because of how aggressive she was about it and with all the trauma that had happened in our lives. Anyway, uh, so I listened to your advice and um, I talked to her about it. She agreed to go to therapy, um, and it's been kind of a long road, uh, but we're still together. Uh, we are very happy, and we even um, we even have a child together. And um, yeah, I'm really happy. She's happy. She's medicated. Our son is as great as he can be. Hey, thanks, Dan. Thanks, Dan. He has no idea who I'm talking to, but uh, yes, we all thank you so much, Dan, our whole family, from the bottom of our hearts. We wouldn't be together. We wouldn't have this family if it wasn't for you and your advice, Dan. Thank you so much for the difference that you've made. Hi, Dan. Uh, I called a few weeks ago. I was the man that was scared of coming out to my dad because of what my mom would do. I was afraid that she would leave him if he didn't accept me. So to let you know, um, I went home and... I told my dad that I'm gay. Um, He was shocked and kind of mad about it, but he did tell me that who I love doesn't matter, and I'm his son, and he loves me no matter what. And uh, I'm just extremely happy about that. And, you know, my parents are still together. Everything's great now. I just wanted to thank you for your advice. You know, your words definitely helped me build up the courage to actually tell my dad that I'm gay. And I'm just so happy everything went great. And thank you so much. I absolutely love the show and keep doing what you're doing. Thank you. 
And we're going to leave it there. Thank you, Magnum subscribers. 206-201-2720 is the number here at the Savage Lovecast. If you want to record a question or a comment for a future show, give us a buzz. 206-201-2720. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Follow Buck Angel on Twitter at BuckAngel. My latest book, American Savage, is out in paperback now. Please get it at your local independent bookstore or at Amazon or other fine purveyors of printed materials. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech savvy at risk youth. We'll all be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for downloading.